you're not alone coach. This is the show that brings us together. It can be a lonely job standing in a field in front of all those kids, but you are not alone coach. Not with the test match level advice that you can get into this 2020 sized podcast. I'm David Hinchliffe. I coach cricket. I've done it for a couple of decades. I'm doing it all this weekend. I'm drinking a lot of coffee to get me through it and that's maybe part of the problem because I talk too much. Which is handy when you're doing a podcast but it's a bit more complex of an issue when it comes to coaching the greatest game in the world and that's cricket of course. So in this show we're going to talk about well silence, how we use it, how we resist not using it and just how long can you keep quiet during that really really awkward silence. And as every coach needs a hand with silence, let me introduce my co-host for this episode, which is Stuart Armstrong. Welcome, welcome, welcome. Hi, great. I'm glad to be here. So let's get into it. Every coach is told, you know, it's one of the first things you're told when you're learning how to coach is, you know, talk less, you know, uh, lecture less. But that's a bit harder than it looks and harder than it seems, isn't it? Um, I, I definitely, because, you know, most of us as coaches, we've got lots of information that we want to provide and we've got limited time. So it's really tempting to uh, try and get that information across because, you know, you're always sort of have, trying to have maximum impact. So it's a perfectly natural human impulse. Yeah, it's it's one of those really tricky things. And here's, you know, here we go. We're, we're talking about time and we're talking about silence. And I've forgotten to ask you to introduce yourself. So that's a terrible start. So te- <laughs> tell us about you, Stuart. Uh, yeah, I'm. Um, so I'm a, I'm a I'm a hockey coach. I'm a cricket coach. Um, I coach uh, in the in the summer months. I'm coaching um, a, a gigantic horde of about fifty odd under nines. Um, wow. myself, myself and some assistants. And then in the winter, I'm I uh, I'm doing under tens hockey as well as running our whole junior program. So that keeps me me fairly busy. I also do some club stuff with adult adult teams, and I'm doing quite a lot of coach development, particularly for England hockey. Doing lots of mentoring for some of their more advanced coaches. And then um, in the day, I'm also working in coaching because I'm a head of coaching at Sports England, which sounds far more glamorous than it actually is. I'm basically <laughs> just a bureaucrat that uh, shuffles paper and distributes money to sport. But um, nonetheless, it's quite exciting working to try and transform the way coaches are educated. Brilliant. And hopefully we're doing some of that, some, some practical ways to do that today. So in terms of in terms of talking, in terms of coaching you know you you have that classic image in your head don't you of you know the photograph of the still of the coach telling the player what to do and pointing in a direction or maybe you know doing something with their arms to illustrate something and the player very quietly listening so when is when is that right time to say something um i think as a general rule the right time to say something is probably um is probably a lot later than most people think. I think we probably intervene probably a little bit too quicker, too quick. Um, mm-hmm. um, and actually, it's usually probably just just at the point when um, the player is just about to solve the problem for themselves, um, or at least have some learning towards solving that problem. And and we intervene with with our uh, solution for them. And I think quite right. often that just sort of gets in the way. Yeah, that's that is an interesting um, thing that I've noticed recently in in you know going to the ECB conference, um, uh, hearing people talk and and seeing how we as as coaches, I think you know we've been brought up in a certain way that you know we need to tell people what the answer is because you know we want to help them, right? If you want to help someone, you you give them the answer, don't you? But um, often, if you say nothing, then 
the person will suss it out for themselves and uh, that is that's really hard if you if you got it on the tip of your tongue haven't you you're thinking to yourself right, I, I know exactly what it is that this kid needs to do to sort himself out here um why not just go up and tell him isn't that the easiest way to do it but actually it, it's a lot more nuanced than that it, it's it's almost like the coaching equivalent of walking past uh, of like you know kind of walking past a uh, like a, a an accident or something and sort of not stopping to help you can kind of understand why people want to get in there because it's you you can see somebody in pain you can see somebody struggling and you want to be able to assist them with that pain to not do that almost feels wrong so is there a time that, that that you can do that is there a moment where that becomes a lot more applicable where you can actually do some coaching in the traditional sense of the word yeah, I think so. But I think um, I, I use a methodology that sort of helps me to avoid that as much as possible. Mm. Um, and um, it's it's coming from a mentor of mine, a guy called Mark Bennett, um, who uh, taught me what he called the rule of three. And the rule of three is, is that the information should come from the participant, um, you know, the person that you're coaching first and foremost. If it doesn't come from them, then it might be able to come from their peers. So their peers might be able to offer them an observation or a solution. So again, I haven't provided any information at this point. It might be so that the, the others have done so. And then the final stage is where I might intervene in terms of my contribution. But interestingly enough, you, it's a good way of then you measuring what learning is taking place because you can either see if the individual is, is sort of beginning to solve the problem, the others are helping to solve the problem. Um, and then at the final stage, you can then step in and contribute. Yeah, and that's a lot of silence in that in that process, isn't it? I well, um I've got a story. From, silence from us, but not necessarily. Yeah. But there's a, there's not silence from them. A lot of noise. Yeah. And a lot of silence. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah. Um, I've got a story about that. Actually, you're talking about that rule of three, and that um, I was coaching some brothers a while back. Um, one younger, one older, both teenagers, and the older one was bowling to the younger one, and he bowled him a short ball, and the younger one sort of just tried to get out of the way, as you know, as you would imagine that you do, you know, big big lad bowling at you, and you you know you <laughs> you just try and get out of the way, but he didn't avoid it very well. And the older brother said to him, "Oh, look, you're scared of the ball, you're backing away." And I thought to myself, in he's he's sort of he's correct, but in the way that he's delivered that. You know, he's a kid, he's a teenager, he's not going to understand the, the, the nuances of this kind of thing, but the way that he's delivered that. So I said to him, is there a way that you could give that information to your brother in a way that will allow him to act on it rather than just say, no, I'm not scared of the ball, I'm not backing away, shut up, which is <laughs> which is what happened. So to me then, I didn't say anything to the person who, who had that, what you might call it, you know, a technical problem, whatever you want to call it. it I just, I said, I had asked one question to the brother. And then the brother started, you know, helping him rather than just trying to cause that conflict that all brothers try and do all the time, of course. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. yeah but, you know, what you know what brothers are like, don't they? They're always trying to get one up on each other. So, oh, yeah. Uh... <laughs> yeah, 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 exactly. So, yeah, you've got to bear that in mind when you're talking about peer advice. Is yeah. There's a lot of politics going on there, isn't there? <laughs> uh, quite, quite. Uh, definitely between brothers. How, how long do you think, how... How long a silence can you leave? Like it, it starts to get uncomfortable. I said at the beginning, didn't I? It starts to get uncomfortable, doesn't it, after a while for the coach? But is it actually uncom- as uncomfortable for the players? You know, is it? Is there a, you know, it, can you leave it longer and longer and longer? Can you challenge yourself to see how long you can just not say anything and see what happens? 
it, it's um it's it's uncomfortable if you're used to sort of being on transmission mode lots of coaches are on transmission mode so you know quite often i mean one of the learnings i had in my learning journey i suppose was because i was so busy transmitting information either um motivational language um you know praising and supporting or um instruction not necessarily instruction but you know guidance and these sorts of things because i was on transmission mode i wasn't i wasn't in listening mode and i wasn't in observation mode so i was missing key key moments that i needed and actually so there was there was starting there was things that i wasn't seeing or i wasn't sort of picking up on i only noticed that when i stopped when i stopped talking so i began to see all these different things or i began to hear different things and i was able to act on them so it tuned me in but going back to your actual original question about the level of silence if you if you do a lot of talking it will feel uncomfortable but if you don't do a lot of talking um and you get used to it actually it it begin begins to begins to get a lot more comfortable and um i remember a couple of times when i first started doing this i would bring a group into a huddle and i'd stand there and not say anything waiting (laughs) for them to fill the silence and it would last about a minute and nobody would say anything and then I'd say, oh, OK, nothing to nothing to nothing to contribute. Fine, let's go back out. And then I'd bring it again. And it took two or three goes before the players began to cotton on to the fact that I wasn't going to start the conversation. It's quite an interesting experiment. Yeah. yeah. But they got the they got the gist of it pretty quickly, did they? It was it, before long they were interacting with each other rather than you saying, OK, well, what do we think about that? Absolutely right. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, that is a good. That is a good tool, though, for coaches. Is is the power of a question, and I think that sort of it ties into silence quite nicely, doesn't it? You've got if you if you can ask a, a question and then let the player or players do the talking, then you naturally then will have that silence, won't you? So a, a question is perhaps a good way for a coach who feels a bit uncomfortable with silence to yeah. to get into that. Yeah, I'd take it in a slightly different direction, though. And something this is a sort of tip I would I would sort of encourage people to experiment with is ask the question just before they're about to go into the activity. So they answer the question with their actions. And then when they come back, all they do is they report back to you on what their experience was, because what you often find or I often find with questions is is that kids get question fatigue. So you're basically playing the coaching Mm -hmm. guessing game. I've got a right answer in my mind. Yeah. I'm asking you a question and you're going to throw out words until one of you stumbles across the right answer and then I'll shower praise on you for getting it right. And they cotton <laughs> on to that pretty quickly. We've all, and done that's that. when We've all done that. We've all done that. So I would suggest ask the question before they go into the activity so they have the question in their mind as they're, as they're performing the activity. Yeah, I was going to say that, that sort of idea of, of uh, having going in with a leading question in that you, you want you want us to hear a specific answer mm. and then yeah if it, I, I say to I often say to a player um, who is a little bit like that if I ask them a question and then they give me the answer that I, they think they want me to hear mm. and I'll say well done you know you passed the exam on the right answer to give for that particular question about cricket but now can you tell me what you really think <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> and that does work quite well because they look a bit shocked and they're like oh okay well yeah okay I see your point that it, it, you know um, but yeah, you, you know you're onto a bad thing there, where the the answer to your question ends with an upward inflection. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, the guess. Uh, uh, mental toughness. <laughs> Communication. Yeah. Yes, you're right. Okay, right. Let's go and hit some balls. So, <laughs> um, so yeah, you've got that that connection of of um, 
giving the difference between looking for something specific and giving a open opening up a safe space to say right let's explore with what we're actually what we're thinking about here and what we're trying to do here and that i think that is i think that is a good little entry into silence then isn't it because then you can you can sit back and and see what comes out of it and um it does take a little bit of practice from the coach and it takes a little bit of practice from the players as well doesn't it as you were saying like sometimes they just sit there looking at you and they don't know what to do because they've never been in that environment especially kids i think they're always yeah, in an environment apart from when they're playing with their mates they're always in an environment where if there's an adult you listen to the adult de- de- and you try de- and definitely i mean the power dynamics are often that way aren't they in, in other yeah. walks of life where for example in say education or different settings where often it's about you know there are rules and you and they learn over a period of time to be quite compliant to those so quite often our coaching sessions well i feel our coaching should be very different to that because otherwise we're just like school Yeah, uh, yeah, and, and there'll be someone here listening to this who thinks to himself, "Yeah, that's good. I want it to be like school. That's that's the best way to educate." Yeah. But actually, no. There's a different. There's a sport is different from from maths or English. I mean, they're all ties in together. But there, there are, you know, we want to be able to play, don't we? We want to be able to say, you know, we 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 play cricket, we play hockey. You know, we don't we don't necessarily learn it. We don't necessarily teach it in that way. So. I imagine there's a similar set of ideas in teaching as well, but um, I can't speak to that because I don't know very much about teaching. That's my that's my brother. My brother does all that, so <laughs> I have to get him on the show. I do think there is a big difference, though. I think people often look at teaching and, and want to infer methodologies in, in coaching from that. And I'm not saying there isn't stuff that teaching can teach coaching and vice versa. I think the difference, though, is that... Um, uh, you know, they're dealing in, you know, largely kind of, you know, cognitive um, domains where it's it's basically about information processing and thinking. So methodology might be different, whereas mm. we work in a much more experience type type landscape. So it's about um, it's about the doing. And so a lot of the learning is derived from the doing. And it's not based on instruction. It's based on uh, the way that the, you, you know, the athlete experiences what they're doing. And so that's one of the reasons why we need to leave space for that to happen and if we clog the in clog the kind of uh, learning space with information then sometimes we're just we're just getting in the way okay Stuart we're we're in the death of the innings we're coming up to the end of the uh, of the (laughs) game so um, if there is one little thing hopefully there's a couple little tidbits in there that people can use but is there anything else is there one little uh, tip a trick some piece of advice that we can say about silence that we can leave someone to walk into their next session and go do you know what i'm going to try that and see what happens so um uh, the tip i would give is instead of if you are going to interject verbally just go through an entire session where the only interjection verbally you make is to tell them the score either in the game or around the game and see what happens love it fantastic that's a great place to end it so Stuart if people are listening and they want to find out a little bit more about what you do get get, subscribing to your podcast read your website can you tell us where they can find you on the interweb they can find me at um, at the talentequation.co.uk and the the podcast is available on iTunes and Stitcher it's called the talent equation Um, and uh, yeah and I'm on Twitter uh, and um, quite a lot probably a bit too much to be honest uh, <laughs> and my too. twitter handle is at stew underscore arm 
Thanks for coming on the show. You can find me, David Hinchliffe, on david25.com and also over at pitchvision.com slash academy. That's where I hang out most of the time. And if you live in or around Glasgow, you can get in touch with me directly. And perhaps we can uh, sit in silence uh, and look at each other over a coffee at some time. (laughs) Thanks very much for listening.